Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Nearly everyone agrees that there is nobody who is perfect. That to be human is to make mistakes. Nobody is perfect. Everybody agrees it's a rare person who would disagree with that notion. But everybody also thinks this, that because nobody's perfect and we're all kind of in the same boat, I'm really, I'm pretty good. I'm good enough. I may not be perfect, but I've done well enough. I've done enough to get by. Especially in comparison, I'm doing okay. And so that acknowledgement that nobody's perfect really ends up being kind of a cope for humans in this life. If nobody's perfect, then nobody could expect me to be perfect, and I have to be measured in some other way. The fact is that everybody has inside of them a really sleazy defense lawyer, kind of like the kind of lawyer you might see on TV. I have nothing against lawyers, but just imagine the most, the sleaziest, greasiest defense lawyer who makes his living getting murderers off the hook by technicalities. Everybody has that kind of a lawyer inside of them. And that lawyer's job is to ignore the truth at any cost and to get you off the hook at any cost. That's a part of who you are in your fallen sinful nature. And here's how that lawyer goes to work. He hears the law, whatever God has commanded or really whatever anyone else commands, and then immediately goes to work reinterpreting it so that it's not quite what it was originally. I'll give you some silly examples of this before we move on to the serious stuff. The silly example is this. Your kids are sitting at the dinner table and you say, finish your supper, and the response is, you mean five more bites, right? Not all of it, 
Or you mean finish my milk. That's what I'll do. I'll finish my milk. I don't have to finish all of my supper. That sleazy defense lawyer goes to work reinterpreting the law so that it's more easily accomplished. Or take the speed limit, for example. Everybody knows what the posted speed limit is. And everybody knows that you're really not going to get a ticket for going five miles over the speed limit. And if everybody else is going faster, then you're just going, you're being safe. You're going with the flow of traffic. Your sleazy defense lawyer goes to work. The law says what it says. The sign is unambiguous, 55 miles an hour. Not 56, not 58, not 59, 55. So that defense lawyer goes to work to kind of get you off the hook or to justify whatever it is that you are interested in doing. And that's why there really are two things at play in our lessons today. Two things. The first one is this. We have sinful desires inside of us. That's before we ever get to the sleazy defense lawyer. That's Adam, our old Adam inside of us, who desires the things of this flesh. We're going to talk about that next week. But the other thing that we have inside of us is a lawyer who always tries to justify us. Self-justification. That's what the lawyer in our gospel lesson was all about this morning. Self-justification. And so what I'd like you to do today is to take a moment to reflect on your own life, on your own thoughts, on your own internal dialogue so that you can recognize that sleazy defense lawyer whenever he pokes his head through. The goal today is to recognize your self-justification, your desire to be able to say, I'm good enough, I've done well enough, I'm going to be okay. You can see how that works in our gospel lesson. So this lawyer comes up to Jesus and he asks a really good question. It might not sound like a very Lutheran question, but it's a really good question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This guy is light years ahead of most people in our world. He actually cares about eternal life. And he knows that Jesus has something to do with it. And so he asks this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asks him to recite his catechism. You know this stuff. What does the law say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, A plus. You studied well in catechism class. That's the answer. If you want to live eternally, do this. Now this really puts the lawyer in a tough spot. He knows the law. He knows that he has to love God with his whole heart, soul, strength, and mind, and he knows that he has to love his neighbor as himself. But he also knows that he hasn't done a very good job of either of those things, and so that sleazy defense lawyer begins to go to work. Well, who really, who really is my neighbor? You mean my wife and my kids and the guy to the right of me who always shares, you know, when he has a beer, he, has a, he shares it with me, but not the guy to the left. He's kind of a jerk. He's not really my neighbor. It's the people I like in my life, the people who are closest to me. They are my neighbors, right, Jesus? That defense lawyer goes to work immediately trying to narrow God's law trying to reinterpret it so that this guy can be okay. So that he can say, hey, I have loved my neighbor as myself. At least a few of them. Jesus won't have any of that, and so he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. We'll get to that in a moment, but I want you to just think through your own life. Where in your life do you do just what that lawyer did in our gospel lesson? Where, when you hear God's law, do you go to work reinterpreting it, saying, yes, of course, I wouldn't do that, but under some circumstances, it might be okay. 
Of course, I would never gossip about anyone. I would never hurt somebody's reputation. But have you heard? Have you heard what this fella did? Of course, I wouldn't steal anything, but really, they've got insurance to deal with that. Or it was their fault that they gave me too much change. Really, it's okay. Of course, I wouldn't murder anyone, but I can't go out helping every last bum on the street. Actually, it's their fault, isn't it? It's their fault that they're in such a bad position. Of course, I would never commit adultery, but really, we're just talking. Really, we're just friends. Of course, I would never get divorced, but, but Jesus doesn't want me to be miserable. He doesn't want me to be unhappy. Of course, I will always honor my parents and other authorities, except when they're really being nasty and they're making my life uncomfortable. And then I'm going to try and get around their rules. Of course, I don't despise God's I love God's word. It's my salvation. But the fishing's really good this weekend, or my family has something going, or I have to work, and so Jesus will understand. Of course, I don't despise God's word, but I really do love these other things. That lawyer is extraordinarily skillful, and we like him an awful lot. And so all of those excuses, all of those attempts at self-justification, they just sort of roll off the tongue. Watch in your life, in your heart. Really, it's not so much about what you say to other people, although when you do that, you can see it more clearly. But monitor your own heart. Look at what goes on inside of your heart. What do you say? What are the times that you say, of course, but... Or I know that God says, but notice those times. Pay attention to them. That's the big thing that is going on in our gospel lesson. The big thing that Jesus is trying to teach the lawyer in our text that he's trying to teach us is that this is a part of who we are as fallen, sinful human beings. And here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with being like that. It's that all of those sins that we've committed, they're bad enough on their own. They're bad enough on their own, and we deserve nothing but punishment on account of them. But then, when we begin to justify ourselves, we add to those sins a lie. That it wasn't really so bad as we thought it was. It wasn't really so bad as God said it is. It's really not so bad because everyone does it. Even worse, what we begin to do, what the lawyer did in our text, is we work backwards. We work backwards from really the easy parts of God's law, and we assume that if we've kept the easy parts of God's law, we must also have kept the hard parts. Here's how this works for the lawyer. Notice that he doesn't ask Jesus, how do I love God with my whole heart, soul, strength, and mind? Or really, you mean I should love him with my whole heart, soul, strength, and mind for one hour on a Sunday morning and the rest of the week is off limits. He doesn't even touch the question of loving God. He goes with the thing that is easiest. I've loved my neighbor, haven't I? But it's bad logic. To think that if you've loved your neighbor, you have also loved God. And in fact, Jesus flips it on his head. He says, if you haven't loved your neighbor, then guess what? You almost certainly have not loved God. St. John puts it this way. He says, if you don't love your neighbor whom you can see, how can you possibly love God whom you cannot see? This is the problem with self-justification. It's the idea that we think to ourselves, I have kept this small sliver of God's law, or at least how I interpret it, and therefore I have kept all of it. When, quite to the contrary, we have not kept the smallest sliver of it, and therefore we have not kept all of it. It's one thing not to love your neighbor. It's another thing entirely not to love the Lord your God, who created you, who redeemed you, 
who washed you, who made you whole, who calls you his beloved child. We don't love him as we should, and that's the core of the problem here. It doesn't fool God. That sleazy defense lawyer, God's not convinced by him. We love his lies, but God hates them because they draw us away from him. Because God, as he says throughout the scriptures, knows that a failure to love him, a failure to love our neighbors, that means hell for the likes of you and me. The wages of sin is death. There's no way around that. It's the death penalty for the slightest infraction. And the slightest infraction is not the least of what we have. It's just the tip of the iceberg. But God has created us for something better. He has created us for perfect love. He made us to love him perfectly and to love our neighbors perfectly. That's what we were designed for, and so it breaks his heart, not only when we fail to live up to that design, but when we think that we're going to be okay anyways, or when we think that we are doing just fine anyways, or when we try to convince him that we are okay. The law is very simple, and really, there is no wiggle room. You can think of it this way. God's law means this, to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. There is something true. I don't like that old mantra, what would Jesus do very much, because it kind of puts people in a bad spot. It makes them despair of their lives. But really, that's what the law is. It asks the question, what would Jesus do? And if your answer to that question is, well, he would do the things that I'm doing, (laughs) you've got another thing coming. Or if you think you are living up to the example of Jesus, you've got another thing coming. All of that is the setup. That's what Jesus is working on with this lawyer in our gospel lesson. That's what he's working on with you today. Pay attention to that lawyer inside your heart, but also pay attention to this. The story of the Good Samaritan is not just another example of how you should love where you are not loving. The story of the Good Samaritan is not to make you feel bad about how you have not loved in the past. It is not a setup for failure. In fact, it is quite the contrary. Because anyone who loves, anyone who loves according to God's word, is loving with divine love. And that's what the Good Samaritan does in the story Jesus tells. Notice how he finds this poor man lying half dead on the side of the road. Which is really quite like you and me. Half dead on the side of the road, thinking probably I'm going to be okay. I'm really just fine. I don't need your help. I don't need anyone's help. That's how we think of ourselves. Lying half dead on the side of the road, approached by someone who really is his enemy. Samaritans and Jews do not get along at all in the New Testament. And if this man was going to be helped by someone, he certainly doesn't want it to be a Samaritan. Just as sinful human beings like you and me do not want help from God in our natural fallen state. But notice what the Samaritan does. He comes along and, quite apart from any protests this this guy might have, he helps him. After all, what truth is there in those protests? He can see through any lies there might be. He can see through any sense that this guy might have that he's okay. He's not. He's half dead. And so he goes to work. He pours on oil and wine and he binds up his wounds, making him well. And then he puts him on his own animal and he walks alongside him. And he takes him to an inn, and he offers the innkeeper some money and really writes a blank check. Whatever it costs to make this man whole, I will pay it. 
You see in that Good Samaritan a picture of divine love, a picture which is fulfilled in Jesus on the cross. God, in the fullness of time, sent his Son to redeem you and me on the cross while we were still enemies of his, while we wanted nothing to do with him, while we wanted no help at all, while we thought everything was quite okay. And he poured on oil and wine. He poured out his blood for you and me to cover all of our sins. And then he gives you his name, which is the best blank check there ever could be, a name that is above every name, a name that you can call on in every trouble, a name that is meant to make you whole and well, a name that is meant to bring you into life. He gives you his name. And he says, whatever it costs, whatever it takes to get you home, to save you from sin and death, I will do it. And he certainly has. See in the Good Samaritan the love of your God for you. See in the Good Samaritan Jesus himself who does not have time for your excuses, for your self-justification. They just get in the way of him doing what he means to do. They get in the way of his love for you. And that's why when Jesus says to the lawyer in our gospel lesson, he says, go and do likewise, he's not asking him to do something impossible. He's not saying, okay, now shape up, fix yourself, and do better. He's saying, I have made you well. I have given you promises. I have poured out my life for you. I have justified you. I have justified you. You don't have to do it anymore. So now you are free. Now you are free to go and live like this good Samaritan. Now you are free to love your neighbor. Now you are free to love God who has loved you first. Now if the lawyer on hearing that said, well, I can't do that can't possibly love everyone. He would be back in the mode of self-justification. If you say to yourselves, God is asking too much of me, I can't do it, now you are back in the position of trying to justify yourself. God has already wiped your slate clean. He has given you the perfect righteousness of Christ. So it is true you have not kept God's law, but you have been given a new heart. So go and do likewise. Love like the Samaritan did. Love like Jesus loved you. Love like your Heavenly Father loves you. And do not fear Don't be afraid that again you'll be beaten and left for half dead because Christ is with you and beside you and for you. He is your Savior. He is your Redeemer. And He has spent everything to bring you into life. It's the fulfillment of just what we pray for in the collect of the day. Maybe you notice there's these two parts to that prayer that really illustrate what's going on in our gospel lesson. First, we pray that God would give us an increase of faith, hope, and charity. That's what happens when Jesus binds up the man's wounds. The Good Samaritan binds up the man's wounds. That's what happens when Jesus gives us, pours out his Holy Spirit on us. He gives us faith, hope, and charity. And then we ask that we may obtain what he has promised and so also love what he has commanded. That's what comes next. That's the go and do likewise. That's live your life in this promise. Live your life in this goodness. Live according to God's love. Go And do likewise, for God has brought you into life. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.